Now, we've made a, a, a big case for what the Bible has to say about the value of friends, the danger of being isolated in our relationships. We've talked about why we should have friends and how to be a better one, but what we want to do really in these coming weeks is get a little bit more into some practical aspects of how to upgrade ourselves in terms of our relational skills from a biblical perspective. <clears throat> why is this important? Because we can believe the right things and if it doesn't show up in our life, and particularly in the area where we have a lot of issues and a lot of breakdown, it occurs in our relationships. It occurs, it occurs with the people that oftentimes we're most committed to, whom we love. Our, our closest relationships often suffer because things happen and we don't know how to negotiate our way through it. And so a big part of what we want to sit with in these few weeks that we're leading into really coming up is how can we draw from the wisdom of the scriptures and apply it to our life and into our key relationships? How can we develop our relational skills? So that's where we're heading. That's why we did this. I'm going to talk a little bit more about it and, and sort of weave it into the sharing time. But I'm going to go ahead and pray. I'm going to ask God to bless our, our time here. And Lord, we just really, again, we, we welcome you at the center of everything that we're doing. And we are so grateful for the gift of life and just being able to come together here and in a gathering such as this to be able to both express our love for you in song and also, Lord, to listen and to just be open. And I, I ask, Lord, that you would just let there be a flow of life among us. We welcome you here. Uh, you know, Lord, we know that we're living in a, in, in, a, in a very challenging time right now. There's a lot of stuff happening. There are things going on that make us feel increasingly you know, out of control, whether it's economy or whether it's the charged, you know, political environment that we're a part of, just a lot of things that are causing us to be a little bit less secure. And, you know, Lord, in these times, our eyes really need to be turned towards you because there are things that you would have for us to learn and grow through and grow into. Maybe that is happening now that is different than any other time in our life. And uh, we just pray that we would be uh, open to the things that you're trying to teach us, that we would be a growing people, not just a static and um, unwilling to, to respond to you. I pray that you would give us the ability to see things, Lord, and to hear well. And so we just invite your presence among us. Uh, speak to our hearts. And if our hearts are not really that open to you, Lord, I pray that you would open them up just a little bit more. We want to we we hear what you have to say to us. And so we ask for your blessing on these minutes that we're going to share together. In Jesus' name we pray this, Lord. Amen, God. Let it be. I want to, again, get into this by having us sort of look at something really in the broad context that's going to be around the relational skill development, but in a smaller context for these two weeks, it has a lot to do with seeing and hearing, and it'll make sense why. We're going to look at three different passages in, in the Bible. All, each of them is in the handout. I want to use that as a foundation for where we're going here. Um, the first one is found in Matthew 13, and it's verses 13 through 17. These were words that Jesus said, and he shared these words. And I put it in a more modern translation because I think it captures the essence of what he was saying, actually getting at more accurately, or at least it helps us to put a better handle on it. It says this, that Jesus was talking. He was talking to his disciples because, you know, Jesus was a storyteller. And uh, he said a lot of things that weren't in story form. There were, much of his teaching was straightforward and, and very clear. 
but Jesus used a lot of also imagery and he particularly enjoyed telling a story. And he enjoyed telling a story. In fact, the conversation is going to begin here in the 13th verse by him saying, here's why I tell stories. Here's why I use parables. Part of the reason he used stories was because he wanted to help open up people to spiritual truth that they may not have otherwise been able to receive. And so the irony, of course, is that a lot of what we just shared here right now uh, is in great harmony with the method of Jesus. Jesus used art, art to convey spiritual truth. He used story, parable, because he understood that at our core, we as human beings have been hardwired by God to engage a story. In fact, we'll suspend you know, that disbelief and we'll really, we'll really connect. It's amazing what a story well told can do. Um, we respond to that. Now, some people say, well, the reason Jesus told stories like that is because he was just trying to you know, help people who maybe either weren't that educated or were more simple-minded to be able to appreciate some of the complex things that he was saying. And actually, if that was the perspective we held, we would, we would not really be accurate with it. Because certainly it was true that Jesus wanted everyday people, working people, people who were engaged in a lot of things that were sometimes just very real, mundane things, that he wanted them to be able to appreciate the things that he was saying. And so he would use story, he would use parable to engage them. And that's true. There's no question about it. It was a way of learning. But we would make a mistake to simply relegate it that, into only that place. Because a lot of times Jesus used story to try to break into the heart of people who were also very highly educated and uh, very learned. In fact, the Pharisees and the scribes and the lawyers of Jesus' day, in which there is so much conflict in the Gospels, were very bright and intelligent and well-versed and lettered people. And yet, because they were in that place, they often were the least open people that Jesus interacted with. And so he would, listen, he would use story to not simply appeal to those who might learn better through story, which is most of us, but he would also use story to try to get people who thought they had nothing left to learn about God to begin to maybe open up by engaging a truth that he was trying to convey in a different way. And so his parables had a dual effect of reaching in both directions. And they had, they, because they were, he, he would tell stories, he would share art because he wanted people to learn about God. And he, he knew that when we get locked into a paradigm or a perspective and we're not open, then God can't move. So one of the prerequisites for moving forward with, with the Lord has to do with openness. And openness often doesn't come if we don't think we have anything left to learn. And so a gift to the Lord is to have an open heart. You know, it really is a gift from God. Now, this is what he says. Let's go through this together. He says this. Here's why I tell parables. Here's why I tell these parables. Here's why I tell these stories. He says, that, and notice what he says. Because they, because people look, but they don't really see. And people hear, but they don't really listen or understand. And he says, and you know what this is a lot like? This is a lot like the prophecy that was given by Isaiah. Jesus pulls them back into the, what would have been their Bible, the Older Testament. And he says, you remember the prophet Isaiah? Remember what he said about how certain people get blocked in their ability to hear what God is trying to say? He says, remember this passage? And he starts to quote it to him. He says, when you hear what I say, you will not understand. And when you see what I do, you will not comprehend. He says, for the hearts of these people are hardened. They're shut. They're not receptive. He says, their ears 
cannot he hear and their eyes have closed. They've, they cannot see and their ears cannot hear and their hearts cannot understand. And because of that, Jesus says, with a tear in his eye, you hear the emotion in his voice. And because of that, they cannot turn to me. Look, listen to this. You want to know the heart of God? Because they're closed and they're not seeing and they're not hearing, they can't turn to me. And because they can't turn to me, I can't heal them. They won't let me heal them because they are unwilling to turn to me. And the reason they're unwilling to turn to me is because they're not hearing what I'm trying to say. And they're not seeing what I'm trying to show them. And he says, and he, and he lamented that. And he says, if you want to know why, that's why I tell stories. And then he turned to the disciples in a, must have been a very penetrating moment. And I believe these words are to you and I. He says this. But blessed are your eyes. Blessed are your eyes because they see. And blessed are your ears because you hear. And he said, do you understand? Notice, I tell you this truth, that many prophets, prophets of old, he says, people who only dreamt of this moment, prophets, righteous men, he says, they long to hear what you're hearing and they long to see what you're seeing. He goes, they long for this day. And he says, and you've been blessed to have it. And I cannot help but hear Jesus saying that. Do you also know, do you, can you realize how blessed we are to be, blessed are your eyes, for they see. And blessed are your ears, for they hear. What we're going to be talking about in the next few weeks, starting today, has to do with seeing and hearing. It has to do with how we engage people relationally. It has to do with how we conduct ourselves in our most key relationships in our world, in the network of people that we're around. It has to, and specifically, I want to talk about how we see. Because really, if you think about it, that's what this little drama, one-act play was all about. I mean, think about it. What was it? It's about discerning eyes. Where were they at? They were in a museum. What were they doing? They were looking at a piece of, of art. They had different ways of, look, seeing it. And, but that was just one of the ways that seeing was woven in to what we just shared. Because the other seeing that was trying to be brought to our attention was that there were friends and they were not necessarily seeing what was going on inside of their friend. The reaction that was coming out of him, the anger that was being dispersed, was in reality simply uh, a symptom of something inside of him that was probably more akin to fear because he's afraid. And his fear of what's happening around him, in this case, very relatable for us, in a lot of the, some of the, the financial instability affecting him, as a result, playing itself out in his anger. And, and, and you can see two of the friends going, we don't, what's wrong with you? And, but there is one friend who's coming alongside and he has discerning eyes. He's seeing in a different way. How is he seeing? He's seeing that what's going on is really not what's really going on. What's really going on is below the surface. And he says, I think I understand. Right? He's engaging his friend in a very different way. It's not really saying that they were you know, totally justified in who wants to be treated like that. At the same time, more was going on. That's the point. When we see things, how do we see them? 
Jesus, as we're going to see, saw things differently. And as a result, he had tremendous relational impact and health. Now, let's look at another passage. Remember, I mentioned there were three of them. The second one is in Philippians 2. Notice what it says here. Now, the Apostle Paul is writing to believers. He's writing to a church that he has actually founded. And he's trying to get their attention. Look at what he says. And this is great for you and me, too. He says, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Is there any comfort from his love, really? He says, think about this. Is there any fellowship together in the Spirit? And then he concludes with the fourth question. And he says, look at this. Are your hearts tender and compassionate? That is a great question. It's a great and probing question. You know, what, what does that qu question do? It's designed to push us internal. It's designed to, t to move us into the interior of our own heart. It's designed to get us to take a look at ourself. It's, it's designed to get us to self-reflect, to self-examine, to take a look at our heart. He says, are your hearts tender? Are they open? Are they soft? And does compassion flow from you easily? He's saying this is very important for us that we take a tender heart and a compassionate heart into our relationships. He's talking about community. He's talking about things that are very relatable. He says, listen, then truly, then make me truly happy, he says. You know how you can make me happy? He says, you can make me happy by agreeing wholeheartedly, look at this, with each other. Learn how to get along with each other. Learn how to love one another. Get past the grievances. Don't get stuck on on petty differences. Don't let the little thing destroy the bigger thing that God's trying to do here. Work on being a people of unity. That's what he's telling them. He's saying work, on, on, work together with one mind and one purpose. It's almost like he's saying work it out in the context of relationship. And notice what he goes on to say. He says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Be humble. Walk with humility. Not pride and arrogance. Treat, enter into your relationships with humility. Think about others as better than yourselves. Don't look down on people. And then here's the word, don't look. He, he, there's our motif. There is that seeing. There's that looking. There's what we've been getting into here. Don't look. What he says, don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. In other words, don't just live a self-centered, me-oriented life. Just don't make it a me-focused life. Instead, he says, practice relational sensitivity. Learn how to be kind. Um, take notice of others. Pay attention to what's really going on. This is what he's getting at. And then he's, he takes it one step further, and, he, and he, he tells them not just what you should be doing to one another, he says, but then he grounds it by referring them back to Jesus. And he says, notice what he says here. He says, have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had when he was here, when he, what he modeled for us. Treat one another as he treated people. Look out for one another as he, he's getting, he's saying, ground yourself back in Jesus' reality. Ground yourself back in him. Let that be the inspiration and the model. Let that be what we aspire to. Let that be what motivates us to, you know, really work on things in our own lives one to another. Let the love of Christ, let his example prevail among us. Now, and that got me thinking, okay, well, you know, what was Jesus like? I mean, how did, what is he getting at here? How did Jesus see things? And that leads to this third piece. This leads us right to Mark 12, the third portion of Scripture that we're looking at here. Because I remembered an incident 
that occurred that really does capture how Jesus looked and loved and lived, how he saw things. It's a little passage, but it's very packed with uh, spiritual truth. It's just an incident often overlooked in the scripture because the whole passage itself is about overlooking insignificant things. But it has everything to do with seeing. Jesus, it says, one day determined to go to the temple. And when he went to the temple, he didn't just go anywhere. He went to a particular part of the temple that was called the treasury. It was the place where people brought their offerings, their tithes, their alms for those who were poor and also for the work of God in the temple. And they would bring their income and they would drop them and they would drop them and they would make a display of it. And um, it wasn't necessarily a bad thing at all, um, but oftentimes it was customary for people who great, gave great sums of money to sort of let everybody know what they were doing. And in fact, on another occasion, Jesus actually mentions how if that's your only motive for doing it, he says, really, you've already got your blessing. He says, when you do it, don't do it to impress people. Do it to honor God and to bless others. But then Jesus says there was, we were told here that there's one incident where Jesus is um, in the temple and he, it says, it with somewhat vivid language, it says, now Jesus sat opposite the treasury. So the idea being here is Jesus is, notice what it said. I mean, think about it for a moment. He walks to this place where everybody's giving and he finds a spot a fair distance away, uh, apart from where they're doing it, and he sits down and he engages in what some of us do all the time. He just starts people watching. And he starts watching people, but he's watching how they're giving. And he's examining it and he's pondering it and he's just looking and he's, and we don't know how long he was there. I mean, he could have been there, could have been there five minutes, could have been there half an hour. Just watching people go by, how they gave, how they honored the Lord. And the disciples obviously had been caught up in someone's, you know, elaborate uh, giving ceremony. And they no doubt were impressed with that. And Jesus felt compelled to say, he, he said, um, he says, come over here. He called them over. He says to them, he says, you want, you want to see something great? You want to see a true hero? Because you're not seeing it. You think you're seeing it, but you're not seeing it. Did you see that woman over there? You see that widow over there? You see that one? And there were probably a lot of people over there. You see that, that lady right there. Now, they would have never noticed her in 100 years. She's, she was nothing. She was nobody. She was one of many. She was giving in the part where you gave little sums of money. It meant nothing. We're told here that it was, she gave, um, the widow came and threw in, look at verse 42, two mites. That's the Bible's way of saying, basically, two, the closest thing we have, two pennies. Jesus said, you want to see a hero? Take a look. He says, look. He says, these have come and they've given great sums of money, he says, and, that, and you know what, Jesus didn't say that was bad. He said, that's a wonderful thing. He says, but you know what, they gave it out of their abundance. That's a good thing. He says, they gave it unto God out of their abundance. He says, but I'm going to tell you something. He says, you don't know it, you can't see it, but I'm going to tell you something. That woman has given more than them all. What are you talking about, Lord, more than them all? She gave, they gave out of their blessing and abundance, but she gave out of the abundance of her poverty. She gave everything she had. She gave her whole livelihood. She gave, she gave everything. Now, they didn't see that. They didn't notice that. They would have never noticed it. See, Jesus 
and we could, we could, man, there are so many things to draw out of that. But one of the things we, we can pull, pull out is this. Jesus saw things differently. He noticed what was going on at other, when other people were missing it. And he sat and he watched and he reflected and he looked at it and he pointed it out. And you know what? I'll, can I say this without sounding, you know, like crude or irreverent? If we are willing to hang out with Jesus, we will see differently too. We will see things because he notices things that others miss. And we will notice things that we would have otherwise missed. There is something to be said about the idea, the closer we draw to God, and you think of that in a vertical plane, the closer we draw to God, the more effectiveness we will have in the horizontal aspects of our everyday life on this earth in our relationships. And what is that? Even that symbol at its center is the idea of the cross. It's the nexus. It's the center. God coming to humanity. God coming to our experience. And really, when we connect with the Lord, when we really, in a deep, meaningful way, begin to develop a relationship with the Lord, it will show up in the vertical, everyday relationships of our lives. It will. It inevitably will. We will be confronted with things. We will be challenged to grow. We will not be let off the hook on stuff. As we actually really seek to do this right, it will change who we are. And every, every period of our life, we're going to be challenged to grow. This has to do with seeing things. So let me, let me just ask this question. And this will, this will be where we go in the second piece here. It's like, okay, how do we improve our spiritual vision? How do we grow in our discerning capacity? How do we come really more like Jesus in the way that we see people and engage relationally? How do we do this? I'm going to make some suggestions and then just sit with a few of them. And the first one is this, that one of the ways this happens, how we see better, how we have better discernment, how we see things differently than we would have seen them, is, is, uh, is, it sounds so simple and obvious, but it's to slow down. Because a lot of times we're in a hurry. We're in a hurry everywhere. We're busy. We've got projects, plans, uh, people, uh, appointments. You know, we're stressed out about this. We've got other things we're going to go to. You know, we've got all kinds of stuff, concerns of life, the agenda of our life, the activity of our life. And you know what? We don't, we don't a lot of times slow down long enough for God to really get our attention. And it's like a lot of times we're just so busy. And then by the time we're done, we're maybe a step, and you know what? Busy people don't see well. And driven people see worse. And... And there is a correlation between our ability to pull out of things and look at it and listen for God's voice and see right. But a lot of times we're so busy, or if we're not busy, we're so tired emotionally from just the, the wear and tear of life, from the problems and the issues that we have to deal with, from the struggles or whatever concerns we might have to the tensions that exist. You know what? I mean, it's amazing. You know, we, we get to points, we got, I got nothing in the emotional tank. I got, I'm empty, I'm on empty, I'm numb. You know what, when we're emotionally numb, we can't see anything. We just don't, we miss so much. It's one of the reasons why the Bible constantly talks about us needing to be still. Be still in Psalm 46, 10, he says, be still and know that I am the Lord. Be still and center yourself in a right place. Be still. One of the great values of just doing what we're doing right now is that we are intentionally coming to the Lord's house to still ourselves to listen for His voice with others. It's a different dynamic than we can get anywhere else. And the Lord has things to say. He takes what is being said through word or song or art, and He, 
he moves them into each of our lives in unique ways to hit us exactly where we are. Now, that's amazing. But God wants to teach us, I think, a lot of times to slow down. And a lot of times we're so busy or we're so filled. In fact, we may be, we may be so, this is what I've noticed about our culture, and I'm part of it. As we get, we get tired, and so instead of actually pulling out and doing things that would replenish us, we tend to do what is common. We, we tend to just, you know, get into some type of an entertainment form, and it really, it doesn't really refresh our soul at all. I mean, we just kind of unplug, but it's not really, re it's not recreating us. It, it's simply entertaining us, and there's a difference, I think. The, the, the value of pulling away, the value of thinking long thoughts, you hear me talk about that. The value, the benefit of carving out space, just walk with God and think about God, to talk to the Lord, to listen for His voice, to deep breathe in his grace in our lives, to think about our relationships, to say, Lord, what do you have things you want to say to me about it? Lord, help me. I've got a situation here, Lord. And just to walk and talk with the Lord, to have interaction with God, to listen for his voice, to, to be refreshed, to pull out of our activity, to listen better. All of these things, very important. Think, okay, think about it in this way. What does it say? When Jesus saw what was going on, what was it? did it say he was just kind of walking by and he took a look and he pointed something out on the side? No, it, it, the interesting thing was, it says that he sat down and he looked. And I see something in that position. I see something in that very posture. I, I, I think there are times when if we're really going to know and understand something, we're going to have to sit down. We're going to stop moving. We're going to have to be in a rested place. We're going to have to be still and know that I am God, as the scripture says. Sit. Sit. Sit means I'm not moving. It means I'm looking. In this case, I'm watching. I'm listening for God. I'm pondering what the Lord would say to me. I'm considering things. Reflecting prayerfully. My life. What God's doing in this situation. This person in my life. These friends of mine. On the job. Am I seeing things right? So slow down, be less busy, listen better, see better. Secondly, be more non-reactive. In James 1, we're given this great passage that we're going to sit with in the coming weeks. The Bible says, be slow to, be quick to listen, be slow to speak, slow to wrath. That is slow to get angry. It says because, it says the anger of a person of a human being, of a man, does not really actually play itself out with that which looks like God. It doesn't show up as the righteousness of God or what is right in God's eyes. It says, in fact, it's actually counterproductive. So one of the things he says is train yourself to be, if, you're gonna live, if we're going to live with discerning eyes, then part of what we want to train ourselves to do is to be less reactive. And because so much of what we do to damage key relationships or people even we love, or perhaps even just nominal relationships that we would like to cultivate into healthier friendships, is that a lot of times we react too quickly. We say things we shouldn't have said. Our, our first tendency is to shoot, and then what happens is we can't take it back. We get hurt. We get offended. We, 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 that, that, that comes at us, and it comes back. We shoot it back. And instead of just simply absorbing it, sitting with it, you know, it's that tendency to just let others... You know, when we're, when we're reactive like that, not only do we say things that we're going to regret, which we have done, all of us, I am sure, 
and also been on the back end of. And some of those words, even somebody coming up later and saying, you know, I'm sorry, I, I'm sorry, I, I didn't really mean that. So you forgive me? Yeah, yeah, I forgive you, but that really hurt me. That can become a struggle to get past that. And now I'm mad at you for two reasons. Not just because of what you said, but how hard a time I'm having to forgive you. And so now I'm upset, and this is hard, and you did it. Now, see, we get in these places where we react to people. We react angrily. We, we, it, listen, the Lord wants to, us to be a people who are not quick to be angered. He wants us to exercise a, a higher degree of self-control and restraint. When we see things, to be able to see them right, we're going to have to slow down. You know, I was talking to somebody. It's interesting. They said to me, you know what? It was in this early morning service. At the end of the morning service, somebody came up to me and said, you know, he goes, you didn't mention it, but I was thinking about it. He goes, we live in a culture where people will get an email, he says, and then they react to that email, right? And he says, they type it in, and then all of a sudden it's like, bang, you know, send that thing right back off to you, right? <laughs> Which is, and you know that emails can be, they are notoriously um, not accurate in what they can convey because they can't convey a facial expression, they can't convey a tone. Which is one of the reasons why at the end of my emails, I always I put those little smiley faces, right? It's like, you know? Because I'm going, they, you know, I know I'm going, I know I could take this the wrong way, so, you know. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And so it's like, I want you to know because I'm aware, I'm going, okay, this is going to be, this is a problem, right? And then a person will back to me, right? And all of a sudden now we've got a real breakdown going. And it's because someone reads it. It's even, and he said it's even more true today. You know, you text somebody and it's even less postured. It's like, well, back to you, you know? <laughs> back to you. And all of a sudden, we've escalated things because we're reacting. We're not really responding well. We're not certainly seeing things right. We got, we got, listen, we have to be really careful here. I was, I was talking to my, my son. It was so funny. As I was been thinking, oh, this is what I was going to preach on this week. I'm thinking about it like I normally do. It was so funny. I went to pick him up, my younger son. We were driving home. And all of a sudden, you know, I'm making a, a, a right turn on Sunset. And I'm just turning, all of a sudden some young guy, you know, everybody's younger now than, me, than they used to be, <laughs> comes zooming. I mean, he was like right behind me. He could have easily just kind of even just, no, he, he wants to make a statement. He just zooms right around me, cuts right in front of me. It really made me mad. So I zoomed right in front of him, right? <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm being honest. And so this is, <laughs> so, and then, you know, so Jake goes, Okay, I was, he goes, Dad, is this really necessary? I said, no, son. No, son. It's not. Honestly, it was a foolish thing to do. It was no good reason for it. It, made no, it did nothing positive here. Only bad thing could have happened from it. Yeah, just, you're right. Dumb thing. Not necessary. Foolish. Just being reactive. The Lord wants to teach us to not react, to be more thoughtful, to sit better, to look, to think, to pray, to ponder. <sighs> Thirdly, longer sentence, three significant points in the sentence. God wants us to ask him to help us see, that's one, with humility, two, with empathetic eyes, three. In that sentence is a lot. 
One, we're invited to ask God to help us grow in our ability to see right. The Bible says in, in, that Jesus told us that you, if you ask, it shall be given. If you seek, you will find. If you knock, the door will be opened. We are invited to ask the Lord to help us change for the better. In James 1, verse 5, it says, If any of us lack wisdom, let him ask of God. Ask the Lord to fill us with wisdom. He who longs to give it to us with great liberality or generously. That God's desire is to fill our lives with wisdom, relational wisdom as well. So we show up better for people, that we react differently than we would. We see better. The second part of that also is what? Humility. Because a lot of our issue is we don't walk with humility. We think, here's what I mean by and this is what I mean by it, is that walking with humility, seeing with humility, means that I have to acknowledge the possibility that even though I think I may be 100% accurate in how I am viewing this, and it's they're the ones who have the problem. But humility says, you know what? Even if I think I see it exactly right, I still have to factor in the possibility that I've got a blind spot. That I'm not seeing it. Hence some of the value of having other people who can challenge some things in our lives, by the way. And it's really good to run that off of them and say, here, what do you think? Am I seeing this right? And then even that, weigh it out with the Lord. But the value, my, I had a professor who used to say to me, <clears throat> those are called scotomas. He says, blind spots. He says, don't ever forget that you have them. I said, you're right. So be careful. We, may, we think we see, but we may not see. Walk with humility. I could, now, this doesn't mean we can't disagree with something. It doesn't mean we can't say this is wrong. Um, it doesn't mean that it, we can only uh, never make any kind of an assessment. No, that's not what I'm saying. But it's just saying walk with some degree of humility. And then the third piece there, what, empathetic eyes. And what does that mean? Now, how I am using this empathy is really genuinely try to understand another person. Again, it's not a sign-off. But what we're doing here is we're not simply reacting. We're actually trying to say, Lord, help me to see with empathetic eyes. Help me to actually seek to really understand. I may not agree, but help me to understand that perspective. Let me to see through more, firstly, how that is being seen. So, so that... I, I, I am not simply imposing my script on somebody, but that I'm actually trying, because that, that will go nowhere. But I'm trying to actually genuinely understand. I really am. Seek first to understand, then to be understood, as the saying goes. You know, there was a, the, the last thing I'll, I'll share here was from a book that I read many years ago. Now it's almost 20 years ago. Some of you have read the business, it's now a business classic, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. There was a story that I remembered the author sharing. In fact, I was there when he shared it live, and he was talking about something that had happened in his life that had really changed him and taught him a great lesson on seeing. And he tells this story about something that happened to him when he was in a, a subway in New York. He said this, and I'll just read it. It's really quick. He says, I remember a mini paradigm shift that I experienced one Sunday morning. In fact, he says, it was on a subway in New York. People were sitting quietly, some people on the subway with me were reading newspapers. Some people were just lost in thought. Others were resting with their eyes closed. He says, it was he says it was calm. It was a peaceful scene. And he says, and then suddenly, in the middle of this relative peace, 
He says, a man and his children entered into the subway car. The children were so loud and so rambunctious that they instantaneously changed the entire climate. And it was upsetting. He says, the man sat, and then the man sat down next to me and he just closed his eyes apparently oblivious to the situation. He says the children were yelling back and forth. They were throwing things. In fact, they were even grabbing people's papers, he says. And it was very disturbing. And yet the man sitting next to me did nothing. He says it was difficult not to feel irritated. And I could not believe that he could be so insensitive as to let his children run wild like that and do nothing about it, taking no responsibility at all. And it was easy to see that everyone else on the subway felt the same irritation that I did. So finally, with that, with what I felt was unusual patience and restraint, I turned to him, and Kobe said, and this, this happened. He says, I said, sir, your children are really disturbing a lot of people here. And I, I just wonder if you couldn't control them just a little bit more. And Covey said this, he said, the man lifted up his gaze as if to come to a consciousness of the situation for the first time, like, oh, I, and said softly, no, you're right, I, 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 and Covey said he never forgot, I guess, I guess I should do something about it. We just came from the hospital where their mother died about an hour ago, and I don't know what to think, and I guess they don't know how to handle it either. And then Covey said this, he said, can you imagine what I felt at that moment? He says, my paradigm, my way of seeing, absolutely shifted. He says, suddenly, I saw things differently. And because, listen, I saw differently, I thought differently. And then I felt differently. And then I behaved differently. In fact, he says, my irritation vanished. I didn't have to worry about controlling my attitude or my behavior because my heart actually was filled with the man's pain. Feelings of sympathy and compassion flowed really right freely through me. He says, your wife just died. I'm so sorry. Can you tell me about it? What can I do to help? He says, everything changed in an instant. We don't always see. We think we see. We don't always see. May the Lord help us to see better. That's an extreme example, but it shows us to walk with humility. Look, and I'll just, I'll just pray here. Lord, there are times in life where we're just not seeing things. We really aren't. We, we think we see, it looks real clear, but our vision is uh, distorted. And we may not even notice. And the one, we may not notice certain things that we, you're really asking us to notice. And we're just not noticing. We're not seeing. We're too busy. We're, we're not looking. We're not listening to you. We're, we're lost in our own way, Lord, and just pursuing things. And, and, and Lord, a lot of times there's needs around us or just real close to us, Lord. And not just ones in our own key relationships, but Lord, sometimes just around us, maybe even on our job, maybe on our way to our jobs, Lord. There are things that you want us to see. We're not seeing. We make judgments so quickly. We assume things that we don't really know, Lord. I pray that you would fill us with a higher degree of, of humility, a higher degree of empathy. Help us, Lord, to grow in our relational capacity. I pray in advance for the weeks ahead as well. There will come an expansion in our hearts of what it is you're trying to say and move inside of us. We really do need you to help us to have better eyesight. We don't see as well as we should. We miss so much. And Lord, I know that there are things that you want us to see closely, right next to us, but also, Lord, with people all around us in our world. Um, I pray that we would be open. We have eyes to see. 
pray that you bless our time of giving as we close with our time here, Lord, but also this song, which really is a direct connect to everything we've shared. Give us eyes to see. This is what we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.